0: FMR 101.3 People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turine Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. I feel very proud to introduce you to my guest today, arguably one of the most famous, if not the most famous guest we've had on People of Note, and that is the internationally famous conductor Marin Alsop. And to many of us, conducting is a mysterious art. And Marin Alsop claims that the primary role of a conductor is to be the messenger of the composer, to bring the composer to life in a compelling way. And she's been described as an inspiring and powerful voice in the international music scene, a music director of vision and distinction who passionately believes that music has the power to change lives. And she's recognized across the world for her innovative approach to programming and for her deep commitment to education and to the development of audiences of all ages. And Marin is here in Cape Town to conduct a performance of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. The third she's conducted in a week, having been in Johannesburg and in Durban with the newly established Mzanzi National Philharmonic Orchestra. Marin, also a warm welcome here to Fine Music Radio.
1: Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here.
0: And you know, when I said one of the most famous, we don't get famous people coming through this country. And certainly of all the conductors that are working at the moment, you're the only person that I've met on the international scene to interview. So it's very special to have you here. Well
1: thank you. I'm I'm happy to be here.
0: And Maren, this whole thing that you're doing in South Africa, first of all, is it a first visit for you to our shores?
1: This is the first time I've ever been to South Africa and it's really fascinating and and very inspiring.
0: Have you been anywhere else in Africa?
1: I went, uh, once we went on safari in Tanzania, and that that was really quite spectacular. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: So when you heard and you got this invitation, did you think, wow, or did you think, oops, I wonder what this is going to be like?
1: Well, probably all of those things, (laughs) Um, but uh, I have to say that uh, it was Bongani Tembe who Mm -hmm. started speaking to me about this idea, and I had been... Uh, scheduled to come and conduct one of his orchestras, I think, in Johannesburg. And then, of course, COVID came in. And, right. and But I, I had spoken to Bongani about being part of my global Ode to Joy project. So he was already on board with the idea of reimagining Beethoven's Ninth Symphony for the 21st century, when, of course, everything came to a grinding halt for all of us. But I think when he started thinking about this orchestra, we had gotten to know each other, and and he knew about my, I think, my philosophy and my interest in outreach, education, in developing new audiences. And so I think it was a natural partnership that he thought would work well. So he approached me about this project, and I don't know, he's such a compelling Human being, <laughs> that it's I hard to him, say no to him.
0: I remember him from Durban, and I mean, it's a it's quite a thing to have done, creating a whole new orchestra. Isn't it spectacular? And, and
1: of course, they, you know, it's not without without challenges or controversy because mm. every new project has has mm-hmm. hurdles that you have to overcome. But I think we see the fruits in this tour. We see that this is something that is inspiring for the people here, for the musicians here, and. It's been worthwhile, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. And you are doing on this tour a number of outreach projects, aren't you?
1: We are. We have. I started uh, actually. I started my visit here by doing a conducting workshop for <laughs> some young South African conductors, and then uh, we're doing a community concert in a beautiful church. Actually, it's fantastic. So we're trying to combine the performances with some different kind of access points for people.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you been filled in on the history of our three major orchestras, the one in Natal, Johannesburg, and the one in Cape Town? Not
1: really. I'm happy for you to share.
0: Oh, no, because I'm just saying they we're quite proud of our orchestras. I almost wish you could hear the Cape Town Philharmonic, because and this is bias, of course, because I live here, because we've got a splendid orchestra, and as so often happens, it depends on the conductor, doesn't it, how the orchestra rises <laughs> to the performance.
1: Sometimes, but I, I have to say that I, I've met many wonderful musicians who have who have spent time in the Cape Town Orchestra mm-hmm. and have really uh, really speak very very highly of it and What's quite beautiful is several of the Cape Town musicians have come to our rehearsals just to, you know, to show their support.
0: Mm -hmm. And the orchestra also does, I have to say proudly, a lot of outreach. They're quite a busy orchestra because they do ballet and opera, but then they also do lots of outreach into the townships. You know that this is a very troubled country, of course, Mm -hmm. and now people are getting opportunities that they never had before. So, to have an international person like yourself out here, I'm sure, inspires a lot of people.
1: Well, it's thrilling to be able to interact with people that I normally wouldn't come into contact with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think something that Bangani and I are both very keen on is trying to create partnerships and collaborative relationships between South Africa and Places like Vienna, where I work, or London, or Peabody Institute in Baltimore a Conservatory, so that some of the younger musicians can also have opportunities to go abroad and then bring back that knowledge. Right.
0: Okay, now I'm going to take a music break now. Okay. And um, you said I could choose the music. <laughs> so absolutely. I've chosen, I've chosen all your recordings. And Thank you. And apparently a work that has constantly absolutely astonished you is Bernstein's Mass. So why don't we start with that, the sort of opening sequence and that first excerpt, the simple song. Was this a project you loved doing? It's recorded on the Naxos label and got very, very well received.
1: Yes. And, I mean... Really being involved in this piece, it's not a symphony, it's not an oratorio, it's not an opera, it's it's really a theater piece. Mm -hmm. And being involved in this piece made me feel even closer to Bernstein. It's a piece that incorporates all of his philosophy and all of his beliefs about humanity, about future, about possibility. In the beginning, you can hear the complexity of atonality, which represents crisis and that gives way to this beautiful song called simple song about belief and faith and this was very much what leonard bernstein was all about
2: Take Quiero... It is the man who praises him Louder, louder, louder And walks in his way. I will lift up my eyes To the heels from whence comes my head I will lift up my voice to the Lord singing louder, louder, For the Lord is my shade, is the shade upon my right hand, and the sun shall not smite me by day nor night, blessed is the man who loves the Lord, louder, 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 and walks in
0: At the opening sequence of The Mass by Bernstein in a recording with the Morgan State University Choir, the Peabody's Children's Chorus, and the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra conducted by Marin Alsop, which as I said was hugely well received by magazines like the Gramophone magazine. And you in fact, Marin, were one of the performance of the year with Gramophone, weren't you? Artist of the Year.
1: Oh yes, yeah, that was a, that was a lovely honor that they afforded me. So.
0: Maren Alsop is my guest here on People of Note this week on Fine Music Radio, having been in South Africa to conduct three performances of Beethoven 9 within a week, which I have to say, Marin, must have been, well, physically, let alone mentally and emotionally, quite a thing for you with that symphony.
1: Well, I have to say, of course, the piece is an epic journey, but we had a performance in Durban that I don't think any one of us will ever forget because... It was load shedding, and we had prepared, you know, for a, a bit of a, a gap between when the lights went off and the generator kicked in. But suddenly the lights went off right before we started the concert, an hour early, and the generator didn't come back on. <laughs> oh <my goodness. laughs> so we we played most of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony in the dark, with the stand lights only, mm-hmm. and... uh I think Beethoven must have been looking out for us because the lights came back on just before the finale so the <laughs> choir could sing.
0: <laughs> oh, no, excellent. But it is, as you say, it's a massive work, isn't it? It's not something you can tackle lightly. We know that of all the Beethoven symphonies, but number 9 is really quite a thing. Do you agree, Marion?
1: I do. I think that it's really his seminal work, and it's a piece that's not just about A musical statement but it's really Beethoven's philosophy very much like Leonard Bernstein's it was in the mass this is a piece about freedom about unity about tolerance about joy I think about humanity on a very fundamental level and I wanted to think about this piece in a new way for the new audiences that are listening today and In our performance, I had hoped the whole text could be reimagined in Zulu, but. (laughs) Did you? (laughs) Yeah, but although we didn't have time for that, there are two sections that have been rethought through. I mean, the themes are the same and it's not a direct translation, but it's very special when the audience hears the Zulu because, you know, when you hear your native language, you can relate to it in a completely different way.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's a question. Did you notice in Durban, Johannesburg, and I should imagine in Cape Town, was the audience mostly white? Or did you manage to get a good sort of crowd of black people in? I
1: would say it was, I would say the audience was quite mixed everywhere. And that to me is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's what we aspire toward. And The orchestra itself is mixed, the choirs are are mostly black, and in Cape Town a, a little more of a mixture, but I think that it's really time that we look at representation on stage
0: for all people who haven't been present. Absolutely, and this is what's happening now, I think, in all our cities, and also thanks to this. I just want to go back to Bernstein now. We've just heard part of his mass, but he really did hit you like a sort of rocket (laughs) bat out of hell, didn't he, He when you were very, very young, and made you decide to become a conductor.
1: That's right. When I was nine years old, my dad took me to a concert, and I thought... Oh, this conductor's having such a good time, because I had already been yelled at for moving around, playing the violin. Oh, you're too, don't smile, don't move, you know, classical music and all these rules. And uh, when I saw this conductor jumping around like a lunatic, and then talking to the audience, I said to my dad, Oh, that's, I have to be the conductor, then I can have a good time. (laughs) So that was, and that was Leonard Bernstein that I saw.
0: And he was, let's face it, thoroughly flamboyant. And he took to you, didn't Or how did you get to meet him?
1: I met him a few times, actually, in my teenage years because my parents were both professional musicians. But I was too terrified to even say hello. Um, <laughs> he was such an idol. But I eventually, I was accepted for a conducting course in Germany at Schleswig-Holstein Festival. And that's where I first met him. And then, really, I began working with him the next summer at Tangoid. And uh, I spent a lot of time with him. Unfortunately, it was only a couple of years uh, until he passed away then.
0: Okay. And um, this conductor's competition, uh, am I right in saying the violin was your instrument, wasn't it, Mary? Correct. Yeah. And was it Bernstein who made you think, having fun like that, that you want to be a conductor, rather than, say, a solo violinist? Oh,
1: yeah. As soon as I saw him when I was nine years old, I was sold. I never changed my mind, not for a day. I still played the violin because I loved it, and uh, and I was pretty good at it, so I didn't want to give <laughs> that up yet. And I didn't know how the conducting would go. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it was a dream come true, of course, when Bernstein became my teacher and... Uh, mentor, and I think I could call him a friend, too.
0: Did you ever in those early days as a teenager and working with Bernstein Hall think that there was a problem with women conductors, or was it just something that was foisted on you when you became professional, that you suddenly became aware that this is a huge and ridiculous problem?
1: Well, you know, I understood quite early that there was uh, some kind of bizarre resistance to allowing women to lead orchestras. Mm. And, uh, you know, it was a a variety of experiences I had from my first violin teacher, a woman who said, oh, you know, girls don't do that. And then other conductors who would say things like, well, girls can conduct Mozart, but they can't conduct Mahler. I mean, really (laughs) silly things like (laughs) this. And, um, of course, every time I heard something like that, it really contributed to my determination to prove that this was a very a very wayward theory, and that women can do anything they want to do. My parents were completely behind me, 100%. But it took a while to be able to break through those preconceptions. Mm -hmm. And the way I started was that I I created an orchestra of all my friends. And I also have a love of jazz. And uh, my dad played in Fred Waring's big band. He played saxophone, in addition to being an incredible violinist. And so I grew up with jazz as well, and I started a swing band when I was in my early twenties, and we played together for oh gosh, twenty years. I, know, I
0: remember being so surprised. <laughs> remember that documentary they did on you? Yes. Um, I remember being so surprised at that, but it was your determination, wasn't it? you? Were, you weren't going to be beaten. You were going no, to get no, absolutely ahead. not.
1: And uh,
0: and you all had that spiky yeah, the punky well, you know that look. was the
1: that was the age <clears throat> of the the eighties, the hair,
0: and.
1: Uh, it was really, I brought all my friends from String Fever, my swing band, and friends from Juilliard together, and we created an orchestra together, and we played for many, many years, 18 years, actually. Oh. Um, and we did lots of incredible projects, and uh, a reimagining of Handel's Messiah called Too Hot to Handle," you know, gospel version, <laughs> things like this. But I think this idea of breaking these taboo rules of classical music It's probably something that connected me to Leonard Bernstein even Mm -hmm. more deeply.
0: Absolutely, and who better than to assist you and encourage you in that? But Brahms, apparently, we're going to have some music now, Marin, and Brahms, you say, has always been something very special to you.
1: Brahms is the composer that I remember hearing and opening that door to understanding that music isn't, just notes on a page. But music has the power to move us emotionally. Of course, I was a teenager, so everything moved me emotionally. But (laughs) I remember hearing Brahms. And so from that day on, Brahms was my guy.
0: Right, and then you you've recorded all four symphonies now, haven't you?
1: Yeah, with the London, it's it's lovely because it, it was with the London Philharmonic Orchestra, and uh, their concertmaster is my concertmaster on this tour as yes, well, that's Peter P- Peter Skuman. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Look, It's difficult to choose what to play, but I thought mm-hmm. let's get, begin at the beginning, and why not hear part of the opening of the first symphony? Is that in order? Wonderful. Part of the first movement there of the mighty Symphony Number no. 1 in C minor by Brahms. And there we heard the London Philharmonic conducted by Marin Alsop, my guest on Fine Music Radio's People of Notes this week. Marin, you know, interesting with Brahms like that, and I remember, and I'm going to tell you something now that I hope doesn't make you cross with <laughs> me, because you referred to it just now, I remember thinking, but how can a woman conduct Brahms?
1: Please oh, forgive me, you, but these you poor thing. Yeah, you see,
0: it's a sort of perception, isn't it? So I listened to number one and I remember I listened to it again within an hour. Because one doesn't worry about tempion so much, but there's tremendous textural clarity and tremendous rhythmic precision in that recording. So it's music that you obviously love and bring something mm. to. Do you agree I do. with all this? Even I though do. I made that dreadful confession. No, that's a
1: you know, I'd rather <laughs> I'd rather people say these things you know out loud so then we can at least have a discussion about it but I think there's some perception because Brahms especially Brahms one is such a it requires such strength Mm -hmm. and you know it's not literal strength but inner strength and that's the most important thing and I, I work on this opening often with my students For exactly that, not just my female students, but my male students as well, to find that depth of sound is hard for
0: everyone. Mm, Of course, and each symphony is so different. That's the other wonderful thing about Brahms. But the other thing is you've worked with a lot of orchestras and made recordings, Sao Paulo, Colorado, Bournemouth, Baltimore, the London Philharmonic, as well as in Europe. And I seem to remember reading somewhere that rehearsals, are quite different with these different orchestras. You have to adopt. You've got to kind of adjust to the orchestra to get them to do what you want them to do.
1: Well, it depends. Of course, uh, I think the fascinating part about going to a new orchestra is that every orchestra has its own vibe, its own personality in a way, Mm -hmm. and it's a reflection not only of the former music directors but also of the culture, of the environment, you know, what, which city they're based in, what their concert hall is like. So it's really an amalgam of everything they bring to the table. So it's always fun. And w- most of my recordings have been with orchestras where I've been music director. So I've had a very deep working relationship with them. The LPO was the exception, but I've worked with them consistently for years. So mm. it felt quite easy to move forward through the Brahms cycle with them.
0: And um, how about a Beethoven cycle?
1: Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) Sign (laughs) me up.
0: And who would you like to do that with? Well, that's a great
1: question. I mean, I think in some ways, I surprise myself by saying that I love working with period instruments. I do. That's a surprise. It is. It is to me too. I never (laughs) thought (laughs) I would say that out loud. But um, I work often with the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment, Mm -hmm. and I have uh, deep respect for them. So. I think if I were going to go toward the period instrument, it would be that orchestra, but also now being the chief conductor of the Vienna Radio Symphony, I'm completely in love with them and the orchestra has such flexibility and capacity that I think a Beethoven cycle with them would be great
0: and they use conventional instruments right but then so many conductors famously like sir Simon rattle are using a sort of peer instrument approach aren't they on modern instruments
1: yeah and I think that works too that's mm. that's quite valid because the modern instruments you know modern we use that term you know very conservatively but they they were modernized for the concert halls that we play in which we still play in
0: yes and also i mean i remember listening to a rehearsal once on a video with someone the bowing that is required when you're using a period instrument uh, violin is really quite different isn't it and the sound is therefore much more open
1: oh yeah it's a completely different sound and of course they tune lower Mm, so that also is it can be a little bit disconcerting if you have perfect pitch and <laughs> have you and, got perfect I pitch? do so it's a, it, it can be a little bit alarming at first to mm-hmm. get used to but the whole sound world of period instruments is a completely different experience so you know and and that's also contributes to the faster tempi because they can't sustain as much as you were saying mm-hmm. because of the type of bows they use mm-hmm. but I think all of these things can come together in a modern performance
0: as we've heard, as I mentioned, by with someone like Simon Rattle and his, and I think Nicholas Anonkor also yes, did his beautiful cycle mm-hmm. on a um, normal, shall we say, orchestra. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you, and you probably get answers in every interview, Simon, is just ask you quickly: How did you survive the Baltimore debacle, where you were <laughs> really had to struggle, and that must have strengthened you for the rest of your career? Mm-hmm. Anything can be thrown at you now, can't it?
1: Well, it was a bit, um, for people who don't know about it, it was a, a bit like a hit-and-run accident, you know, because I <laughs> I didn't see it coming it. at all. I hmm. I had guest-conducted the Baltimore Symphony a few times, and it was always fantastic, and I was really excited when the board called and asked me to be their next music director. So I didn't see the pushback that was in the works coming, and you know many many people in the industries they suggested that I not accept the job that I just walk away and I thought you know there's never been a woman given this opportunity how long will it be before the next opportunity is offered and as it turned out that was in 2005 my appointment was announced and it took until just last year which is 16 17 years for the second woman to be appointed to one of the top, not not top 10, but top 25 mm. orchestras in Atlanta. So I think my decision was the right one in the moment to, to move forward. And I, I love the orchestra now, of course, and uh, we have a wonderful ongoing relationship. I go there several weeks every year to guest conduct. And maybe that's the joy of it is now to be the conductor, the music director laureate. It's a little bit like being the (laughs) grandparent. You know, you can go and enjoy the kids, and you don't have to be responsible for (laughs) them. So maybe I've finally reached the the ideal world with them.
0: That's a a lovely way of putting it. Now we're going to have some Dvorak, our next piece of music, Maren. This is your recording of the Dvorak 9th with the Baltimore talking about Baltimore, and you say that this is also a special work for you, this, which is arguably one of the most popular symphonies in the repertoire, really.
1: Oh, easily. Um, and for American orchestras, it's particularly, I think it has special meaning because Dvorak wrote it as a tribute to the New World, uh, mm-hmm, to, right. to America. And um, this movement we're going to hear, which is the slow movement, the Largo, is really the highlight of the piece and features a spiritual that Dvorak wrote, sort of in the style of mm, the right. the spirituals that he heard, and uh, it's beautifully played on this recording by choral player player uh, Jane Marvin.
0: there we leave, part of that very beautiful movement, the Lago, the second movement of Dvorak's New World Symphony, his symphony number no. nine, conducted by my guest. Our famous guest here on Fine Music <laughs> Radio this week, Marin. thank you for being here. Um, I wanted to ask you now about your, you you are very passionate on, we? we spoke about it briefly at the beginning about outreach. Do you do that elsewhere in the world as well? Or only when you go to a, shall we say, poorer country?
1: Oh no, I mean every I think every single country has opportunities for outreach because we live in such a disparate society now of mm, different nice strata way. you know so what's happened is that in order to study music and play an instrument you need to have the financial resources to have private lessons to own an instrument and these can all be barriers to people who don't have that kind of economic wherewithal in Baltimore I also was struck by the lack of diversity on stage among the musicians, and in thinking about it, I thought, well, if we could get to some of these kids early enough to give them the opportunity to study music, to play instruments, what would happen, you know? And uh, so I started a program in Baltimore in 2008 with 30 first graders in West Baltimore, and... uh, since then it's grown to almost two thousand kids now oh, playing that's... instruments, and some of those first kids we call them the orchids orchestra kids, <laughs> or um, kids. some that's of them yeah some of those first kids are now in um university studying music education mm-hmm. performance. It's amazing how they've taken to it, so it made me realize yet again that every child is born with this capacity it's just whether we can afford to give them the opportunity Mm -hmm. and so everywhere I go I that's on my mind and uh, I think it's more thankfully more on the minds of classical music institutions these days. Very much so. As we have
0: said about our three orchestras here, which are doing, and now the Amzanzi Orchestra as well, who are very active in these outreach things. But also, Maren, I see that you are a great uh, supporter of modern music, contemporary music. And you say, I think I read somewhere, every musician has to enjoy, play, and... Work with modern composers because, of course, audiences are terrified by them, aren't they?
1: Yeah, but you know, I, I try to put them at ease by bringing up the fact that, you know, Beethoven was modern music once Indeed, too. All that, yeah. And of course, the Ninth Symphony, which we're performing on this tour, was one of the most avant garde pieces ever written. So, you know, it's all a circle. It doesn't, you don't have to like it all, but I think exposure is
0: the key. There was a composer that you said, is it John Adams? Mm-hmm. Okay. Why him particularly?
1: Oh, I think uh, I love John's music because it's it's very much of our time. It's quintessentially American. It's got a lot of great grooves. It's very clever. And also, it has heart. And John Adams also loves to reflect current events. So he wrote an opera called Nixon in China That's after right. that visit. Or more recently... Klinghoffer, yes, uh, and yes. uh, I'm thrilled to be able to perform his music all over the world and, and call him a good friend.
0: Marin, do you conduct much opera? It seems as though you don't, that you're doing mostly orchestral stuff at the moment.
1: You know, I don't have enough time, really, oh, to, okay. to okay. do a lot of opera. I enjoy doing opera in concert version. This summer with Chicago Symphony, I'll do a Magic Flute, and... I'll be actually, I'll be doing something of John Adams in New York uh, in, in a couple of years. So, you know, here and there I'm able to do some.
0: But the symphonic repertoire seems to attract you mostly. Yeah, that's really what I was drawn to always. Well, now we have a large orchestral sound with that rather magnificent Symphony Number no. 4 by Tchaikovsky, which you did with the Colorado Orchestra, didn't you?
1: Yeah, and this is a special recording because uh, this was one of my very... First music directorships, you know, where I was mm-hmm. able to put a stamp on, on the orchestra. And Tchaikovsky feels feels very much like the measuring stick of an orchestra, doesn't it? Uh, Absolutely. You know, everybody I'm looks so forward you to said those that. pieces. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: and you can rely on a full house as well, can't
1: that, you? That's true, and that doesn't hurt.
0: <laughs> but Marin, as people are listening, I just want to say we're going to hear some of the opening of the last movement, but with this particular symphony by Tchaikovsky. It seems to me the conductor has to be very careful not to make it a crash-bang thing and play it to the gallery. It is a really great symphony, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, it's spectacular symphony. But it's also a symphony that's filled with folk music, even mm. the last movement. ba 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 Something about a birch yeah, tree. Yeah, this Russian, sort of birch Russian folk tune. Yeah. And uh, so I think it's important to always keep that quality.
0: There well, here we leave the exciting last moment of Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony before the Great Coda with the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra conducted by my guest on People of Note, Marin Alsop. And we're all very proud to have you here, Marin, all your Thank magnificent you. Beethoven nines. Now, I'm looking forward to when you record them to see what that Beethoven nine sounds like. But um, what I wanted to ask you now is what is next on your schedule now? We approach Christmas and New Year, and then what's next? You mentioned Chicago and New York.
1: Yeah, I'll be in Chicago the uh, first week of January, actually, and uh, then uh, I'll be with the New York Philharmonic in May, mm-hmm. and in between in uh, Paris and with Vienna, and so it's a busy it's a, a busy spring.
0: Where is your home? Uh, you you mentioned Vienna, but do you live in Vienna? Is that your home?
1: No, our home is in Baltimore. So oh, uh, it is in Baltimore. Um, right. Yeah, my family is wondering where where I am. <laughs> where have you been? Did your
0: partner not come out with you?
1: No, not this time because of the holidays and everything. And our okay. our son is. Uh, uh, home from college, so I'm eager to get home.
0: I'm sure you are, and you will be in time for Christmas and all that. I will be. Marin. it's been a great joy to speak to you and to know that someone of your stature came out here to perform for us uh, with this new orchestra, the Mzanzi uh, National Philharmonic, and I hope maybe you'll come back one day and conduct our orchestra in Cape Town. Oh, I look see, forward to it, definitely. See all the wonderful work that they do. And I know there's an element of controversy about this new orchestra, but that, as you said earlier, does happen, doesn't it, when something new comes about?
1: It does, but um, I hope that this tour has really put that to rest and that we can move forward united to to really achieve the goals we have.
0: Good. Marin, I want to end with a, a curiosity, if you don't mind me calling it that, <laughs> The Moons, a symphony by? Amanda Lee Falkenberg. Now tell me about this before we play a little excerpt.
1: Well, this is, a, um, this is a piece conceived around the moons in our galaxy, and instead of the planets, like Holst. And it's really an oratorio. It's for chorus, orchestra, and soloists. And I think Amanda has done a beautiful job of capturing the spirit of each moon, and she's done extensive research uh, into the science behind the moons. Oh, also that. As oh, well. yes, and yeah. uh, really, um, I've met more interesting astronauts and um, <laughs> <it> really astrophysicists <laughs> through Amanda than uh, than you can imagine. But most importantly, it's wonderful music.
0: So what shall we what shall we hear from it?
1: We should hear the first moon definitely. Always start with the first moon. I say that's okay. my motto.
0: Okay, well that's what's going to end our chat uh, with Marin Alsop, the first moon from the moons. I can't get her name right.
1: Amanda Lee Falkenberg.
0: Amanda Lee Falkenberg. Marin, enjoy the rest of your stay. Are you going straight back after the concerts?
1: I will. I'm going to head home just to you try to beat the weather so that I can be home for Christmas. Keep, keep your fingers crossed for me.
0: <laughs> so that you can get through. Okay, but I hope you've enjoyed your stay in South Africa.
1: Oh, very much. It's an absolutely beautiful country, and, uh, and the again. people are lovely. Thank come you. Again. I can't wait.
0: Okay. Right. Now, let's listen to The Moons. My guest on People of Note this week, Marin Alsop.